I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we've got college football, lots of college football talk with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. Florida is at Kentucky. UCF hosting Baylor and many, many more games. USF at Navy. So we'll get into all of that in your college football talk here coming up in just a minute. But first, the Tampa Bay Rays won another game, and they tied, I guess it was, uh, what year was it that the Rays went to the World Series? That would have been um, 2008 uh, for the second best record in franchise history. So congratulations to them. Mm -hmm. Steve, here's what I didn't get. So I'm watching (laughs) the TV, and all of a sudden – uh, Trisha Whitaker is in the clubhouse as she does every night, but only this time she's sopping wet with champagne that's flying all over the clubhouse. Did I miss that they won something tonight? Like what? I want to say tonight. I, it, you know, it's it's uh, a thir- uh, Wednesday night, but I, I just I watched the end of the game, and then I I flipped over. I was watching. I got the little uh, MLS soccer on the U.S. Open Cup final. I have the Lightning game on the iPad streaming from Nashville. And then on Twitter, I'm seeing champagne pictures in the Rays clubhouse. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> what did they win? They're not eliminated from the division yet, although that's getting really close now. They wrapped up the number one wild card at worst case a week ago, practically. I'm like, what is going on? And, and I'll read Kevin Cash's quote. Uh, Mark Topkin tweeted this. He says, Cash said the Rays felt players deserved to celebrate all they did this season and decided yesterday to do this tonight, win or lose, since they were off Thursday. His quote, I know it's different. I just told the guys, we're different. We're the Rays. <laughs> There's a T-shirt. There's a T-shirt in that one. <laughs> we're different. We're the Rays. So when they did, so am I, if I understand this right, when they did actually uh, secure the top seed in the wild card, they were off that day, so they didn't have a chance to. To pop the bubbly is that is that what he's? I guess or? I don't know. Or they just decided, you know, hey, we're you know we're not going for a wild card. We want a division. I don't know. I, I really bizarre. I, I don't. Maybe they just didn't want to damage their own clubhouse. So wait till you get to there Boston and tear theirs apart. You know. Well, why not? This sure, is what you get them... for firing Hein Bloom. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and I don't know if if Boston's ever celebrated in uh, you know at the Trop or not, but uh, yeah, they'll have the uh, carpet cleaners out tomorrow. It was. Uh, it was a wet mess in there, and they were all having a good time. So, Speaking of Boston, uh, this is the first playoffs in at least 30 years mm-hmm. without the Yankees, Red Sox, or Cardinals. You know, I saw something. This is the first time, mm-hmm. I believe, that the Red Sox and Yankees have been the last two teams in the American League East since 1969, mm-hmm. when I think they formed the, the, the division. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. um, it's also the first time that the Orioles and Rays have finished 1-2 yep. in the American League East. Interesting uh Interesting juxtaposition there, right? It is. It's kind of a, well, I don't want to say changing the guard because quite frankly, the Rays have been ruling this division for a few years now. True. Yeah. And it looks like Baltimore might be one of the best teams in the division for years to come based on their youth and, and their team that they're, they've built. 
You know, it's crazy. Um, and you got to, you, you know, it's scoreboard. You always credit Baltimore for what they've done. They have not lost and, and rarely lose for the last really two mm-hmm. months. But if not for what was an historically bad July, the Rays would have moonwalked through this division. Like they would mm-hmm. have won 100 plus games. But that July that they had was just abysmal. And I guess you credit them for pulling out of that sort of nosedive because mm-hmm. that wasn't easy to do either because you were wondering, like, geez, are these guys going to win again? But if you even had a bad July but not a horrifically, historically bad July, they'd be well ahead uh, of the Baltimore Orioles right now. Well, it's one way to look at it. There's the other way to look at it is if they didn't start 13-0 and because of that bad July, they'd be fighting for the second and third wild card. <laughs> That's also true. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know. You know, I mean, that's the part of a season is that you have those those ups, ups and those and downs. downs. Now, yeah. generally, you don't have 13 in a row that you win. Right, you generally to start don't ha- the year. Yeah, and you yeah. generally don't have a month as bad as the Rays were in July. Like, I mean, it was the worst month, I think, in franchise history, wasn't it? I believe second worst record-wise. Second worst, yeah. okay. But, I mean, you know, you're talking those happen on really bad teams. That's right. <laughs> this is yeah, a really those, good team. That those had, are the devil Rays. had yeah. an awful month. Mm-hmm. And it was awful. But, you know, some positive signs. Tyler Glass now was virtually unhittable for five innings. They were able to just empty their bullpen, get him out of the game. I don't know what they're going to do in the next few days, where they're going to play this as if they're not going to win the division. But um, this would be the time that you would usually start, you know, resting guys. And they have done that. They've um, Yeah, I'll be curious to see if, you know, maybe Friday they rest some guys. And then Saturday, Sunday, I mean, you know, Yandy Diaz hasn't played in about a week now. By the mm-hmm. time he gets to this weekend, does he want to get some swings in if he's healthy enough, sure. of course? Yeah. Same with Randy Rosarina has been out a few days. Does he want to get some swings in before you get to the you know the first game of the wild card on Tuesday? Yeah, he did play on Wednesday, but he, he didn't look uh, particularly good at the plate. So, yeah, maybe they want to get their timing back or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, be something to watch. All right, we got Matt Baker coming up. Lots of college football talk. But first, uh, you guys already know it's hurricane season, right? It still is. Don't let your guard down, but there's still time to keep the power on without breaking the bank. That's getting solar battery backup power from May Electric Solar. Now, with solar battery backup power, there's no fuel cost, no loud generator noise, no annual maintenance costs. Plus, May Electric Solar offers a 15-year warranty. Solar battery backup can save you hundreds of dollars each month. And if you lose your power, a generator could cost you over $2,000 a week just to keep your house running. New solar battery systems qualify for a 30% tax credit, or you can add a battery to your existing in-phase solar system. Trust the pros in solar. To learn more about May Electric Solar's battery backup or to get started, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, best time of the week. We get to talk college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. And Matt, you're at Florida State. Clemson, a place where the Seminoles have not won for a very long time, and I must say it looked for all the world like they were not going to win again. A uh, crucial missed field goal there at the end of the game, but the Seminoles prevail. So tell me about the atmosphere. Tell me about what this win means to the Seminoles, and they've been living kind of on the edge the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they have, and thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, the atmosphere was fantastic. You know, this was my first trip to Clemson, mm-hmm. and it did not disappoint. I mean, the the again, it was just a fantastic atmosphere. All the orange, seeing the the Tigers run down the the, the hill and touching mm-hmm. Howard's Rock and everything. 
Um, the the press box is open air, which is fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's right behind the student section. So like, <laughs> oh, wow. So I mean, it's great because you can feel the stuff, but also like you're trying to move your head around people's heads and hands and in the air and um it was it was quite an experience let me let me just say one other thing we'll, we'll talk football in a second sure. um but my, my trip getting there was, was a little challenging oh um, i heard about this and i'm and i gotta be honest with you what you're about to say i don't think i would do i don't know how i would get there but go ahead tell us about the rental car world yeah, so uh, Clemson is hard to get to. Like, you could mm-hmm. fly into Greenville, but it's not easy. So right. I have been told in the past, you either fly into Charlotte or you fly to Atlanta and you That's drive right. a couple hours. Yeah. So my flight's on time, I get to Atlanta, and then I, I get to the rental car area, and the line is very long. And mm. I'm standing in the very long rental car line. And then after around 20 minutes, a woman comes out and says, Hey, uh, so we are all out of cars. And it's going to be about a five or six hour wait for cars. And also there's only one other company in or one or two other companies in the Atlanta airport that has cars. So if you want to try and cancel, go for it. I'm like, all right, well, what am I going to do? All right. Well, I, I mean, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it out and see what happens. So I wait more than an hour, probably an hour and 15 minutes to get to the rental car to the counter where my five hour wait begins. And then I go back to the terminal, get my Burger King. Uh, come back on, on the, on the, the skyline shuttle thing, whatever it is. And I'm eating my Whopper on the floor next yeah, to the, the escalator. Oh, it's glamorous. You're, I, you're just, you're just making all the journalism students just crave for this job. Go ahead. Exactly. Well, and the, 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 my, the main thing I tell you this today is kind of silly and funny, but also like I, I hear all this stuff about the, the, the media elite and, and all this stuff. <laughs> so, so the next time you Joe listener, wherever you are, Jane listener, hear someone talk about the media elite i want you to picture me sitting crisscross applesauce <laughs> on the floor by the escalators of an airport eating my burger king waiting oh, yeah. for my uh, dollar rental car anyway it only took about another hour for me to get my rental car the whole process only took three hours for three me to hours get goodness yeah it was the craziest, most ridiculous. And I was so fortunate, Rick, because apparently the people after me, I was like right at the cutoff line. And the people after me, they said it was going to be like four hours from then. Wow. Because rental cars run out of cars. Anyway, yeah. um, so that, that was my trip. Uh, now, did you make kickoff or were we oh, late? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, was, I was fortunate. You know, I was, I was lucky because this was on Friday. And oh, okay, gotcha. So, I, you know, I didn't have anywhere to be until Saturday, but like, you know, when I was in line at Burger King, the folks next to me, they were uh, going to visit their kid. And, like, time is of the essence there. They only have so much time. And somebody mm-hmm. else in line had to get to a wedding or whatever. And, like, you know, I can wait a couple hours. I had a book. I was going to be fine. It was just a pain. But that's part of the Clemson experience where it's uh, logistically. Hard to get to. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to get to. Logistics are rough, but a fantastic atmosphere and a heck of a good game. I mean, oh, you're, man. You, you hit it right on. Florida State, for a long time, I did not think they were going to win. Um, look, they, they got outgained by, what was it? 100 and 118 yards. Uh, Clemson had nine more first downs, all that stuff. It points into a, a favor of Clemson winning and, and previous Florida state teams absolutely would have lost that game. I know that because I saw that happen, right? <laughs> like right. La- last year's game in Tallahassee, Florida state was with them for a little bit. And then they had a disastrous, the eight, 10 minute stretch and Clemson pulled away and Florida state couldn't, couldn't close the gap. But this time the Knowles, were able to get it done. They made the big plays. Obviously, Kalen Deloche with the, the massive hit on Cade Klubnick to, and the, the scoop and score, and you know some lucky breaks with with a missed field goal by the kicker who had been like 
just hanging out for the last eight months or whatever, five months, yeah, whatever right, it was. Right. So there, there's all sorts of things that went Florida State's way, but they made their own luck to some degree and they were able to take advantage of it. And, you know, as we sit here today, I, I, I mean, Florida State is easily one of the top nine teams in the country. You know, in my rankings, one through nine is kind of a crapshoot, but I, I can make a case that they're, they, I think they have the best resume in the country. You know, their two top two wins, crushing LSU and then beating Clemson in Death Valley. The, that's the best one-two punch in the country. So they're in this mix where they're entering this open day, uh, very much a, a playoff team, very much a national championship contender, even though the last couple of weeks have been a little bit shaky. You know what's interesting when I was watching this game, um, and I don't know, you know, exactly what Clemson's Clemson's game plan was defensively, but I know this, that any time, and there was a lot of man coverage, Jordan Travis just threw that ball down the field and said, hey, I trust my guys to go get it, and they did. So that's, you you bring up a very interesting point. I'm glad you did, because I didn't get a chance to write about this, but uh, Travis said after the game, he felt disrespected. He felt that Clemson disrespected him. I did did too. I really did too. I, I was like, why are you challenging the best quarterback, maybe the best quarterback in the in the country, and certainly a great deep ball thrower, with those receivers to just try to cover the man to man all over the field? Well, I, I think Florida State's at the point where it's a it's a pick your poison, right? Because True. they, they True. are offensively that explosive and that talented. So you're you know, most teams are gonna have to pick okay, are we going to let the run game beat us? Are we going to make Jordan That's Travis true. beat us with his legs and, and Trey Benson and Lawrence Toafili and Rodney Hill at running back? That's true. Or are we going to make the receivers beat us and say, you know, we're going to bottle up the run and mm-hmm. make him complete these passes? It's, it's, you know, it's kind of one or the other to some degree. And Clemson, you know, Dabo said it afterwards. Like, no, we were not disrespecting them. We have tons of respect for Jordan Travis. He's a hell of a player, this, this sort of thing. But we were going to stop the run. We were going to try mm-hmm. and bottle him up as a runner because we know how good, how dangerous he is in that. And given how Travis looked, just health wise, um, I mean, clearly he was he was banged up with it, the left shoulder. I don't know that that was the right idea for for um, Clemson, but they did hold Florida State to like twenty five rushing yards, so it it worked. It worked. And, and, yeah. and for a while, you know, Florida State wasn't completing those passes. They had the jump balls, the fifty fifty balls that they didn't make. It's just that. When the one that mattered most on the second play of overtime to Keon Coleman, he made it, and that was the difference in the game. Yeah, that was a ball game. But I, I was impressed that he kept taking the shots. When you know it's the old, you know, if they're going to play cover two, you run it. If they're going to play man to man, you throw it over their heads, and that's what he consistently did. And they finally hit it, and it, and it paid off. So uh, Florida State advances. I, I agree with you. I think they're one of the top top teams in the country. Um, However, Florida, they got it done against Charleston, but... Charlotte. Or Charlotte, I'm sorry, yeah. They got it done against Charlotte, but but there are still some some hiccups uh, with them, and you wrote about it. Um, these gaps on, on, on special teams, got enough guys on the field. I mean, what is going on with sort of the game operation over there? Yeah, I don't have a good answer. And, and, and Billy Napier, I don't think, has given a particularly clear answer. And I don't blame him. Because, I mean, if he did, he'd probably end up throwing somebody under the bus, and I kind of get that. Um, but they've got issues, right? I mean, there was, depending on what angle you're looking at, there was at least one, probably two plays against Utah where they didn't have enough guys on the field on special teams. And against Charlotte, there was at least one, probably two p- plays on special teams where they didn't have enough guys on the field. And 
it, obviously it looks really bad. Certainly when you look at, you know, what happened with Notre Dame at the end of the Ohio State game where back-to-back plays they had 10 dudes on defense and, and lost the game in part because of it. Um, it. It can be kind of magnified, I suppose. And um, it's, it's one of those things that the way Billy Napier structures his staff without a dedicated on-field special teams assistant, when you make mistakes that way, it kind of gets magnified. Mm-hmm. And and also just the fact that he's got a zillion analysts. What are you guys doing? Like it, it, leads, it leads to the obvious questions. Um, I, I felt almost kind of bad nitpicking um, Billy the, the way I did the other day in my story on TampaBay.com. But I think I had to. I think just because it's – look, here's the way I'll say it, Rick. Florida, you know, when we were talking to Billy the other day, we were in the, the Hevner football complex, the $85 million facility that the Gators built to get every ounce of efficiency they possibly can. Because if we do it in this way, where you go from the locker room to mm-hmm. the, the weight room to the practice fields. And the then number of like, steps. They count the number of steps. It's, it's the number of steps. All of this is an efficiency because we only get 20 hours a week. We have to maximize every, literally every single second. So you're going to have plays against Charlotte where, again, the only thing that matters is these couple hundred plays, right? It, you know, however many it was in the game. And two of them, you didn't have enough guys on the field. Like, it, they will go spend $85 million to eliminate inefficiencies and then have that type of It mistakes. can happen. I think you were right on writing about it. And, and I also think, and you made the point, is that without a dedicated special teams coach, one guy – Where's the accountability? Well, it's on all of us. No, it should be on one guy. And and that's the thing that I think structurally, and you can, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. I get it. And he's been successful where he's been. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, man, I I would want to know who's putting the 11 guys on the field during during these special teams. And and I would want that one person to be responsible. I, I, I almost think that it's, you know, paralysis by analysis. They got too many people over there and, you know, and, and things are slipping through the cracks here. Yeah, and that's one of the the reasons I've asked about this, and others have asked about it. Because is it a situation where you know this assistant does the punt return, and this sure. assistant does the, the the kickoff block or whatever it is, right? And then there's miscommunications just because you don't know who's doing what. Like there, there's valid questions to the operations here. No question. Whatever the answer is, there's been a couple mistakes, and. Yes, there's mistakes on any play, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But there were uh, completely avoidable, silly-looking mistakes. And no, they did not cost them the game against Utah. There were other issues. No, they did not cost them against Charlotte, where, where they won by 15. But Kentucky is, is a tough team. It's on the road. This is kind mm-hmm. of a coin-flippy game to me. And you look at some of the way these have shaken out the last couple of years. Um, I think it was the 2020 game where... Kentucky was in it for a little bit, and Florida made two really big special teams plays. There was a, a fake and then kind of a some misdirection on a punt return, and that turned the game to Florida's favor. You look at the 21 game, um, which was one of the things that really started putting the pressure on, on, on Dan Mullen and ultimately helped lead to him getting fired. One of the turning points was a blocked kick that Kentucky turned for returned for a touchdown. So like these, and you know, one guy out there can make the difference between having that kick blocked or not, or, or, you know, you get my point in in a game where the margin is as slim as it's going to be, I think against Kentucky and then, you know, potentially against Vanderbilt the next week, we saw what happened last year. And then South Carolina at South Carolina looks like kind of another coin flip game. 
those little things can make the difference, which is why I think it's fair game to ask about them and fair game to wonder about them. And obviously, if you're their gators, that's something you absolutely have to get cleaned up because you can't afford to make that type of mistake against a good SEC team. Yeah, and I, I think these next three weeks are really tricky for Florida and, and Kentucky being the first one. It's, it's not an easy place to play sometimes. It used to be. They used to dominate Kentucky. I don't know. They feel like they've won for 100 years over the Wildcats, but not so much uh, consistently anymore. So this will two, be... Two in a row they've lost to Kentucky, Rick, which is it's incredible. Which is unthinkable. And, and yeah. if, it, if they lose Saturday, and I think it'll be a close game, but if they lose, the last time they lost three in a row to Kentucky... 1948 to 1951. <laughs> My God. That's how far you have to go back. And it's wow. there's a very real possibility that that happens. And that says a lot about where Florida is and, and where they've kind of you know stumbled the last couple of years. But on the other side, it says a lot about Kentucky, where they're no longer this doormat in the SEC. Mm-hmm. They are a solid program that plays good defense. They got a good mm-hmm. quarterback. And, and, and Devin Leary, the NC State transfer, got some skill on offense, good line. They're a tough team, and, and you know I haven't had Florida in my top twenty-five the last couple of weeks. Although they've been in that twenty-six to thirty range, whatever. If they win against Kentucky, that's a very solid win that would probably put them in my top twenty-five. That'd be great if they can get it, and so that's going to be one to watch. I want to get your thoughts on USF, who finally uh, <laughs> took down a conference opponent. They beat Rice. Alex Golish's team suddenly looks like they are leap years ahead of where they were before he got the job. And I mean that in, in, in a positive way. Um, their quarterback is playing good ball all of a sudden. So what do you make of the direction that USF is headed? The simplest way I can put it is this. They had four wins in the three years before he got there. They have two wins in four weeks. Mm. Like, you, we can poo-poo the competition. You know, yeah, one of the wins was Florida a- A&M. Okay, fine. Uh, we can poo-poo the competition. Oh, Rice has just moved up to the American, and their quarterback got hurt or whatever. Okay, fine, if you won. But the fact is USF had been so bad for the last couple of years. So for them to already have two wins, to have a legitimate chance at a bowl, I, I don't know if I'm going to pick them to make a bowl at this point, but at minimum they're going to have a chance at it. That is a remarkable coaching job. Um, you know, some of it is, is the guys that Golish inherited. Obviously, Byron Brown's been really, really good. Yeah, um, some of it's the guys that he brought in, be it guys on the lines, be it Simmons, who had you know, 280, 270 yards, whatever it was, uh, re- receiving the other day. Um, he's uh, and Daquan Wright at running back. You know, there, there's been a bunch of guys that he's brought in, which to me speaks well of him as an evaluator and as a recruiter. And then just the culture and, and everything kind of clicking at a pretty high level for, for USF. I mean, you know, we, we've obviously talked on this show about Dion and, and what he's done, and you know, we'll see how, how all that plays out with, with Coach Prime. But if Alex Golish can get this team to a bowl, which, again, you look at the schedule, they're at Navy this week. Navy's not particularly good. You know, maybe, I think they've got a chance there. UAB's not been very good. you got UConn in October. You can make and then Charlotte at the end, you could make a case this team can get to six wins in a bowl. And if they do that, get to a bowl after four wins in three years, I think Alex Golish has to be mentioned as a national coach of the year contender. Uh, I I think so. And I think coaching, of course, in college football, it's about the coaching and uh, just ask Nick Saban. Um, But I, I do believe that it matters. And you can see the results very early on. Um, good coaches will get that out of their kids. 
again, he's just beginning. This is just his first year, and they're going to get better and better as they recruit. But winning helps that recruiting, and I've been impressed with how they've gone about, you know, just their just their game to game operation. You can see this team getting better each week, which is really encouraging. Now they host Navy. You mentioned Navy. Um, it's a good challenge. I mean, I think if you can, you know, take down another conference team, they throw the ball a little more than Navy ever has, but. Um, this would be a huge win for them, two in a row or three. Would it be three in a row now? No, two in a row, right? It, it, lost yeah, Alabama be, in between. Correct. It, it'd be two in a row, and a, a road conference win is important too, right? There like, you go. Sure. You know, Joey Knight. Uh, you know, when he was he was the AP voter before me, and one of the things I took from him. Scary thing to, of course, to take anything from Joey. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that he always pointed out, he tried never to to ding a team after a road conference win because that's just so hard to do mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot to that so if they can go to navy you know navy's in a weird situation where they're not as they're different than look different than they've been offensively and a new coach and first time head coach and all this stuff doesn't matter for usf to go out and if they can win and have a chance to win at navy that would be a very big statement for where this program's going and where they are right now and you know, as you said, winning helps with recruiting. And you know, last I checked, they had the top recruiting class in the AAC. And if they can add some more kind of proof of concept stuff by stringing together a couple wins and making a bowl, then that's certainly going to to help Golish as he tries to sell this program going forward. Matt, you're going to take a road up uh, up the I four, and you're going to watch uh, UCF host Baylor now their first foray into a Big 12 opponent, K-State, didn't go so well. What do we think about this matchup? So I, I think the, the, the game, you know, UCF against at Kansas State the other day, they, they lost by a couple of scores. Kansas State's pretty darn good. I mean, they're the yeah. defending Big 12 champions. I mean, you know, obviously they lost Deuce Vaughn, um, but they still have a bunch of really good players. They're tough. You know, they K-State had the one loss, but it was a walk-off 61-yard field goal <laughs> against Missouri, which was nuts. Um, so I say that because I... Yeah, obviously UCF would have liked to have won, but I don't view that as a bad loss or anything like that. I think it was it was a heartbreaker, um, and this is kind of where the Knights are, where they're in a conference with a bunch of good, at least you know, really good to solid teams somewhere in that mix, and, and UCF is right in there with them. And um, you know, I, I think this one on Saturday, I'm really looking forward to, just because it is the first home game, uh, home Big Twelve conference game for the Knights. This has been a long time coming for the people out there. Now go back to where they were, you know, starting as D3 and working all the way up and just all the stuff they went through along the way. You know, they had a nation's longest losing streak at one point, the awful one year under under George O'Leary and then of course the highs with the Fiesta Bowl and the the 2017 alleged national championship and all this <laughs> That's stuff. That's right. Um they they've been through a lot of ups and downs to get to this point. But Saturday is to me is kind of their true arrival as a um, you know, as as a major conference team. You know, obviously they played some home games and then the the K State one as well. But this is their homecoming. This this is their big arrival that they've made it. And you know, I, I see UCF Big Twelve stuff all the time. I mean, obviously I spend a lot of time on seventy five driving to and from Gainesville and um, somewhere I think it's south of Ocala. There's a sign about UCF in the Big Twelve state of mind in the state of Florida. Um, I, I 
gave a, a talk to the Orlando Touchdown Club the other night and driving on I-4, and there were signs from Baylor welcoming UCF to the Big 12. Like, this is a huge deal for them to get there just because there's only so many spots now, and who knows what things are going to look like in the coming years. So this is just kind of the realization of many, many years of hard work behind the scenes, on the field, off the field, in the community, in the boosters, building facilities, all that stuff. That's all going to kind of culminate in, in four quarters against Baylor. And by the way, I think they're going to win. Um, Baylor's looked kind of shaky here, although we'll see if they get the, the quarterback, uh, Blake Shapin, back. Um, but UCF's been solid. You know, Tim McLean had some nice moments, the, the former USF quarterback, um, in his first start for UCF the other night. And, um, I, I think the Knights are going to be able to get it done and just have a huge, huge, huge afternoon for the, for the people of Orlando and the people of, of that community, uh, with their, again, their, their culmination of all this hard work with four quarters against Baylor. Uh, it'd be great to see them, uh, take that down. And so right, let me get your thoughts on some national games and, and one, um, and we got a mailbag question for you coming up you're going to enjoy. One was, okay, last week, step up in class, right? Colorado goes to Oregon, and my, oh, my, the Ducks put it on them. But first of all, let me get your thoughts. Uh, Oregon's coach said some things before the game about we're about wins, not clicks. Mm-hmm. Dion fired back with, you better get me now because this is as bad as we're going to be. I don't think it's necessarily a surprise, and, and USC is going to be a similar challenge, I think, for Colorado, but what did you make of the whole back and forth? Are people coming for prime? Are they are they dissatisfied with with all the attention he is getting in college football? Just what is that dynamic like? You think in in your sport? I think there's there's definitely more attention on prime, uh, you know, from from the fans and 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 the media, and and then I do also think from the coaches as well, his his, his colleagues. Um, when you talk as much as Dion does. When it goes poorly, you're going to hear about it. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely some of that. Um, I do think there's a bit of, I don't know if jealousy is quite right, but I'm not speaking about any coach in particular here, but kind of the general idea uh, of, you know, Dion did this differently than most people, right? Yeah, he's yeah. challenging the, 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 the sort of like the institution a little bit, the way things are done. And, and I mean, and, and to go the other way, Dabo Sweeney's going to have to accept that NIL exists, and maybe he might have to change his thoughts about that too. But you're right; this is not the traditional way that teams are built. Well, it's not just the it's part the the, the way that teams are built, but also just how did he get to this job? Right? Mm. You know, it was it was three years at Jackson State, I think it was, and then you get a, a Power Five job. Mm. Um, compare that to the route that most coaches take, where you know, I I was the GA for Bobby Bowden at Florida State from 1983 to 1985, and then I was an assistant at Podunkville Tech and and moved up, and, and then you know that it's it's a long process where you're climbing the ladder. And Dion did it very, very differently. We know why he did it very, very differently because he's freaking Dion Sanders. Um, so, but I do think there is some, again, I don't know if jealousy is the right word, but a little bit of like, does this guy really deserve this? That type of thing. Um, again, the fact that he talks so much that, uh, you know, there's these all the cameras around and the reality shows and all that stuff, that can put a bigger target on your back because. Dion has put the target on his back. Um, but also, I, I think it's important to mention, too, that this type of sniping happens not all the time, but it's not uncommon either. I mean, I, I remember uh, 
after the the one Florida Missouri game that the one that got ended up getting Dan Mullen fired, you know, Eli Drinkwitz came out and, and said like, "May the force be with you." To give a shot to Dan Mullen, who is, did something similar like with Halloween costume <laughs> the year before, like th- this type of stuff. This type of stuff happens. You know, think of all the barbs that that Spurrier said over the years about Free Shoes University and, and all this stuff. That's part of what makes this fun and, and makes this exciting. Where the, the coaches have some personality and do this, and, and I just think that. I guess Dion's brought a little bit more of that out than the other kind of more vanilla coaches. How about that? No, that makes sense. Okay, real quickly, we'll go through some national games. Utah, who's playing extremely well at Oregon State. That's a Friday night game. Who do you like there? I like Utah, but I don't feel super strong about it. Um, it's just because it's in Corvallis. Corvallis is one of those weird places like Lubbock, like Ames, mm. where weird things happen and, and certainly a nine o'clock game on a Friday night just seems like something weird is going to happen. And, and Oregon state of course is, is really, you know, they're a really solid team too. Um, yeah, they lost to, to Washington state the other night in the pack two championship, but I think they're going to be a very tough out for Utah. And I guess I'm still waiting for Utah if they get healthy to, to see what they can be because they're the two-time defending Pac-12 champions. Um, I don't have a great read on that, but I'm glad it's on a Friday night, and I'm going to get a chance to watch a good chunk of it. To be clear, it's not the Pac-2, it's the Tupac. <laughs> of course, Tupac, yes, yes, yes. Yes, of course, with all the California teams. Um, okay, Kansas, uh, which is better than uh, – they are no longer a basketball school either, and you can say that about North Carolina, you can say about Kansas. They're at Texas, tough place to play. Longhorns got it going. Competitive game? absolutely a competitive game and kansas has beaten texas before here in the last 10 years i think charlie lost to him once and i think sark lost to him in his first year if i remember right but those were kind of weird because kansas was kansas that you know they were they were they were down and texas of course was should never be that down but this is not that type of kansas i mean kansas is good like their quarterback daniels is very good um they've got some 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 playmakers on the outside I think Kansas is going to Texas is the better team. They have better players. They should win, but I absolutely think Kansas can hang with them and make it close. LSU is at Ole Miss, and uh, of course, uh, Lane Kiffin did a lot of talking until his mentor came in and, and beat him pretty soundly. So I feel like we've uh, heard that before, Rick. <laughs> yeah, we probably have. <laughs> LSU, you know, with kind of a rebound. I'm not counting out the Tigers here down the stretch. Yeah, I still think LSU can win the SEC West. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't have a good read on Bama anymore just because they, they did, you know, they were able to, to beat a good old Miss team. Um, and I think Milrose, the quarterback going forward at Bama, and I think they can scheme up some stuff to make that work. Um, but I say that because just LSU has been solid. Um, I th- they didn't look great against Arkansas. But that's just a weird series. You know, they do play for the the Golden Boots, so it's a trophy game and all that stuff. So I don't take too much away from LSU being shaky there. I think that's more of a speaking highly of Arkansas in that rivalry. But you know, LSU with with their quarterback and you know some of the skill they've been having lately at running back and neighbors at receiver. I, I think LSU is a good team. They're going to be a dangerous team in the division. Um, I don't know that they're going to win the conference, but I, I certainly think they can win the West. And uh, I, I like them to beat Ole Miss. In, uh, in Oxford. Notre Dame was just a devastating loss uh, that they had to Ohio State, but they got to get back up fast. Duke is a better team than probably most people realize. How, how, how difficult is this game going to be for Notre Dame back-to-back with Ohio State? Very. Um, just because it's the 
some of it is the the mental aspect where sure. a lot of times you know if a team will get up big time for one opponent and then it doesn't work out particularly this one where again it's it's a loss on a run up you know, up the gut with one second left that's about as painful of a loss as you could fathom and then the next game is duke and duke is not a a sexy opponent however they are tough riley leonard is a quarterback who you know you're going to be hearing about uh come april and may as a a legitimate draft prospect and and an early round guy mike elko the duke coach uh, is a defensive mind who's done a really really good job everywhere he's been i'm curious to see what happens with him this coaching carousel because he's a name who, again, in two years, he's made Duke a top 20 team. That Incredible. is crazy. That does not happen. No. And that tells you just what a good, old, you know, an old-fashioned ball coach who can scheme up his X's and beat Euros, that type of thing. That's who he is. And he's going to, I think he'll have opportunities. You know, the Michigan State job's open. Northwestern, which is a comparable job, but can probably pay more just because of the Big Ten. So I'm curious to see what works out with him in the long term. But in the short term, I think it's going to be a very competitive game. Notre Dame has more talent, but Duke is stingy with, with a you know a high level quarterback, and that can make a difference in a game like this. Sure can. Okay, I promise we got a mailbag question in a second, but I lied. I got to have you talk about. What I thought was an interesting story, I can't believe that you did it. Of course, Jordan Travis taking down Clemson and LSU in the same year is now sort of referred to as the Tiger King, which well, it used to be Joe Burrow, the Tiger King, Joe Burrow, the Tiger King. Well, now the real Tiger King, you got a hold of this dude. He's in jail. How the heck? What, what's going on here? He, he thinks that these copyrights being infringed upon what? Rick, my family and I spent a lot of money for me to go to journalism school. <laughs> So I could do stuff like this. <laughs> My mom's going to be so proud. It was amazing. Uh, so yeah, hold on. Let me try and do this with a straight face. Joe Exotic from from Tiger King. You, you remember it as the Netflix show that everybody Absolutely. watched in the early days of the, the, the COVID shutdown. Um, he was upset on social media because there's some Jordan Travis t-shirts with him you know, Travis on a, on a throne with a, a tiger there as, <laughs> as if he's the tiger King. That's and right. Joe exotic has, has copyrighted tiger King and therefore he's infringing on my copyright. And, and uh, if anybody, you know, I'm looking for a lawyer and I'll give him 80, 20 or whatever it is. And, and then Joe went further and, and talked about uh, on, on Twitter that uh, if I was going to give the tiger King crown, King crown to anyone, it would be Graham Mertz. Of the Gators. Florida guy. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on here? So <laughs> on Joe Exotic's uh, Twitter thing, there's a thing for, for business inquiries. Here's the email. I'm like, all right, let's shoot my shot. That's awesome. So, so I emailed that and didn't hear anything for a couple hours. And then at 2.31 p.m., um, Matt, I sent your questions to Joe, and here are his official answers. Wow. Uh, and he gave me the answers, and, and you know, it's signed by by Tammy Springer, power of attorney for Joe Exotic. And I, look, this is the first time I have ever corresponded in any way, shape, or form <laughs> with somebody from, from prison. Um, I did not expect this to be doing this at the start of the week um, or at any point in my career. However, I think I am at my best as a reporter and a writer when I'm looking left while other people are looking right. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know what? 
let's <laughs> let's give it a shot. And God bless Joe Exotic, uh, the, the U.S. presidential candidate, for, for responding to me via his power of attorney, via email, from prison. Well, I'm told that there are a <laughs> lot of people that have pen pals in prison, but it's usually for a much different reason. But I'm glad that you were able to get a Joe Exotic. It's a great story. Check it out in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Steve, we got a very pointed question for Matt Baker in our uh, in our mailbag today. It's very pointed and long, so bear with me here. <laughs> Evan, Evan wrote, can Matt explain the love for Florida State? Yeah. But don't get me wrong. They have one or, one or two of the three most impressive victories this year, and it's a great story to have FSU back in the top ten where they lived for decades. My question is, is there any other team in the top ten that you could say – or even should be, 2-2. Two and two. Great win against LSU, but if Boston College could have gotten out of their own way, they would have lost there. Boston College isn't even a top 100 team. Also, to call Clemson a big win is a stretch. First of all, if Clemson had anyone other than a stockbroker for a kicker, they would have won that game. Oh, man. More importantly, this isn't the Clemson of three or four years ago. This is a Clemson team whose only wins are against Charleston Southern and Florida Atlantic. A Clemson team that has lost five straight to ranked opponents and are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 against ranked opponents. Don't get me wrong, Florida State's a solid top 10 team. But to be put in a separate group of top two at this point seems a reach. Even using the eye test, they have one really impressive victory and two wins that you really have to squint hard to make me look positive. Okay, so a couple things. Um... I don't care about Clemson's record uh, against ranked teams over the past couple of years, just because that's not relevant. Um, you know, it's the same thing with, with Georgia. I've, I've got Georgia lower than some of my my voting colleagues. Um, the argument, the best argument for Georgia is they're the two time defending national champions. However, that has nothing to do with twenty twenty three. So again, I understand it, and some people use that argument. I personally don't like it, so I don't. Um, no, this is not a Clemson of 2016 with Deshaun Watson, 2019 with, with Trevor Lawrence. No, they're they're not that good, but they're still a pretty darn good team. You know, you look at some of the advanced metrics; they're in the top 25 there. Um, yes, they got their tails kicked by by Duke in the opener, but then they, you know, turned it on in the second half against Charleston Southern, beat the crap out of Florida Atlantic, and. I know what I saw with my eyes uh, on Saturday. Cade Klubnick played like a five-star quarterback. Will Shipley, the running back, is really good. Mafa, number seven, the other running back, is really good. Their receivers finally played the part. They've got a good defense. And I, I've heard some people kind of you know, poo-pooing the win at Clemson. Like Death Valley is only great at night or whatever. No, I was there. That, that place was nuts. Like, So I'm not going to poo-poo them for, for winning that game no matter how it went down. You know, They hadn't beaten this team in nine years and to get that monkey off their back in what is a rivalry Florida state Clemson is a rivalry. I think that's an impressive win. And then when you start kind of looking at, even if we don't think it's a 
top 25 win, there's still, look, I think the only other team off the top of my head that has two wins that caliber, um, to me, it w- would be Washington State. They beat Wisconsin and they beat Oregon State. So that's why I view it that way. I, I understand that they, they probably should have lost to Boston College and maybe should have lost to Clemson as well. But the fact is they didn't. Um, they're 4-0, and that LSU win is extremely impressive. And, and I guess the other thing I would say on this too is it's it's still early, and I don't have a great feel for who should be 1 and who should be 9 right now. Uh, to me, 9 is kind of the dividing line um, between teams I feel pretty strongly about, and eh, I don't know about that. Um, like I've got Penn State 9. Could you make an argument Penn State should be number 1? it's a bit of a stretch for me, but yeah, you could probably do it. Um, we, you know, they've beaten a couple of power five teams and, and what have you. Maybe you could make it work. Um, could you make an argument that Penn state could be nine? Yeah, I think so. Um, or anywhere in the middle, same with Oregon, which, you know, uh, has some, uh, pretty decent win again at Texas tech. And then they went over Colorado as well, which was obviously a big one on and on on my list. I don't see a lot of separation there. So if you wanted to tell me Florida state's nine, I think that's a little low, but I could I could buy into that, um, just because that's just where we are in the season. And w- I guess it's, the other thing is it's particular to this season specifically. Um, I'm going to ramble for one more second here, but um, I'm going to write about this later on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. I think there's more parity this year than there usually is. Right? Like you could start just about every year for the last few years. The national champion is going to be Ohio State. Georgia or Alabama and yeah you know LSU won in 19 or whatever but you pretty much knew at the start of the season this one of these three teams is going to win it but as we are right now on September 27th I don't know who's going to win the championship I I, there's nine teams you could go even further and talk about Utah and LSU or whatever that I think it would not surprise me if they won it all and I think first of all that's awesome just as somebody who loves the sport where it's not like a foregone conclusion, fast forward to Jan- to Georgia, Bama, um, national championship in Houston. So I think that's great. And I also think it's interesting why this is happening. Um, I, I think the transfer portal and NIL together, you know, a lot of people hate them and lambast them and what have you. But I think that combination, that cocktail of transfer portal kind of evening out some of the talent, you know, you take Washington with Michael Penix from Indiana, wasn't working there goes to Washington, one of the best players in the country. Um, you look at Georgia losing a couple guys like Barry Alexander, who's now a very, doing a very good job at USC, weakens Georgia a tiny bit, boosts USC a tiny bit, a, a little bit more leveling out of talent because of the portal. And then NIL as well, um, getting guys to stick around longer, again, like Penix and like some of the Florida State guys and some of the, uh, um, some of the Michigan guys. I think those two things together have made it where – there's a little bit more evenness across the field where you have, you know, 10 teams capable of winning a national championship and Florida State's in that mix. So that was a really, really long-winded answer to a question of, yeah, they're somewhere in the top 10. I think they're higher. You can think they're lower, and reasonable people can disagree. It was a long question as well, so it required a long answer, but... That's why we have him. He's Matt Baker. He'll be at uh, UCF hosting Baylor. And uh, we'll look forward to reading that and all his other news in the Tampa Bay Times and, of course, about the Tiger King on TampaBay.com. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Enjoy the uh, game and uh, safe travels, buddy. All right. You got it. Thanks, Rick.
All right, always great to talk college football with Matt Baker. Uh, tomorrow we will preview the Bucks at the Saints. It looks like Jay Boo may be quarterbacking. Hmm? That could be interesting uh, as well. And your mailbag questions coming up on Friday's Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Burst at Cumberland Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.